Hey everyone, welcome or welcome back to the Brave Church Podcast, and thanks for listening. At the end of this talk, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Facebook or Instagram, where you can get even more connected to what's going on in our community. But most importantly, we hope the following talk inspires you to take your next step in finding or following Jesus. Well, hey, welcome to Brave Church. We have been in a talk series called The Word of God. And I just want to give a little bit of a recap for those who are just joining us. In scripture, the phrase word of God means Jesus or the proclaimed message. But in our culture, it means the Bible. And so we've actually started this year in a series looking at the Bible. And we've been tackling some pretty big questions. Okay, week one, we talked about how we got the Bible. And then in week two, last week, we talked about why the Bible is such a big deal and talking about the authority of scripture. Is the Bible authoritative in our lives? And so today, we're going to talk about how to read the Bible. And then next week, we're going to talk about what to do when you disagree with the Bible. And I will probably not be here for that. That's, that's all you, Dad. Um, <laughs> hopefully, I'll be a father by then. So see you guys, in a, see you guys later. But let's get into it today, okay? Um, I want to begin with a question. What do you think of the Bible? Okay, we all feel something about it. We all had a view of it when we were growing up. Uh, Some feel reverence. Others feel rejection. Some feel warmth, safety, and guidance. Others feel confused, maybe even conflicted. Um, Today, as we talk about how to read the Bible, let's begin by considering how do you feel about it? What comes to mind when you think of the Bible? A few years ago, I decided to go back to school, and that was a big decision for me because I don't like learning in a classroom. When I finished my bachelor's degree, I thought, I'm done for life. Like, this is awesome. And then then I got sucked back in um, because I just felt like I needed to be challenged. And so anyways, I found this this cohort that I I joined, and we meet up once a month, and it's all day. And so the thing about an all-day class is you get hungry. Like, you need lots of snacks. Who loves snacks? Okay, so after lunch, we always stop by the grocery store and just grab some more snacks. And so I went in just looking for some beef jerky, and I came out with licorice, gummy bears, uh, beef jerky, coffee. And so we're all in this grocery store, and we're checking out. So there's a lot of people in line. And something really interesting happened when we were checking out. So the guy who's, who's uh, at the cashier, he asked me a question. He says, hey, do you guys uh, all work around here or something? And, and I said, no, we don't. We were actually in school down the street. And so he said, what are you studying? And I said, we're studying the Bible. And I thought that was pretty clear. But then he says, which one? And I said, the holy, or then he's, and then I said, the Christian Bible. And then he says, oh, the holy Bible, which is kind of funny, but it's also kind of sad. Listen, It wasn't a very long time ago that when you referred to the Bible, everyone knew exactly what you were talking about. People who didn't consider themselves followers of Jesus, didn't go to church, could still quote verses from the Bible to you. So nowadays, when when you say the Bible, it's not even always clear what you're referring to. And so in this room, we all might have some different reactions to that, right? Some of you might be thinking, man, what is this world coming to? What's going on with our country or this, that, and the other? But others, you might be thinking, so what, right? You might, not, you might be here today and you haven't decided what you think about the Bible yet. You're not sure that it's even relevant to your life. 
And I just want to say right now, we are so glad that you're here. We are so glad that every Sunday there are people gathering with us that haven't decided what they believe yet. We love that this is a place where that can happen. But here's my reaction to that experience. And here's my reaction to where things are at in our culture. Um, I think that this is one of the most exciting times to be a follower of Jesus. Because for decades in America, many people have been reading the Bible wrong. They've been misquoting it, they've been misinterpreting it, and ultimately, they've been misrepresenting the heart of God for people. And so when people preach about some of these things, I'll give you a few examples. When they preach about money, as if everyone should be super rich, and if you haven't cracked the code yet, then you're just not good with God, or you haven't figured out how prosperity works. Look at what Third John says about prosperity. It says, beloved. I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. God's most important, uh, most concerned, excuse me, with your soul prospering. Or when people take verses on healing out of context or they, or they misunderstand how healing works as if, hey, if you're not healed, you just don't have enough faith. Look at what Isaiah said. He's referring to Jesus in 53 verse 5. And the prophet Isaiah, he says, and with his wounds we are healed. His wounds are the reason that we're healed, not our goodness. So now that we're in a post-Christian era where people don't know all the Bible stories, they aren't as familiar with the teachings of Jesus um, and their, their view of the Bible is probably that it's homophobic, misogynistic, Christian America, and all of that other stuff. This actually presents us with an incredible opportunity to present the gospel to people who have never actually heard the gospel. And so maybe what some of us need to do right now is reconsider how to read the Bible. What's God's true vision for humanity? What's God's true heart? What does God really care about? God actually answers these questions in his word. But for a lot of people, their struggle starts with how to approach the Bible, how to read it. And so maybe you grew up in a home that loved the Bible, that followed it, um, that, that, that read it regularly. Maybe you grew up in a home that didn't even own a Bible or was against the Bible. Maybe you grew up in a home that had a lot of opinions and perspectives that they said were from the Bible, and then you got a little bit older, and you heard about Jesus, and you started learning about Jesus, and you're like, why does he sound so good? Why does the Bible sound so different? So maybe you don't know um, how you feel about the Bible. Maybe it's been intimidating to you. You've picked it up. You're like, I don't even know where to start. I just read something, and I don't even know what I'm supposed to walk away with. And so what we're going to do today, we're going to do something a little bit different. And so I just want to make that clear in case you're a guest with us this morning. For the first part of today, um, we are going to really need to focus in, because it's going to be more of a lecture Format. Okay, for the first part of today, um, typically on our Sunday talks, we go through books of the Bible. So we spent almost all of last year in the Gospel of Mark. And it was awesome. We're actually going to pick that back up and finish it leading up to Easter after we're done with this series on the Bible. But for the first part, we're going to talk about and, and, and really just get some tools for how we approach God's word. That's my, my hope for you today is to give you some tools for how you can approach God's word as you're reading it and, and seeking to understand it. And then for the second part, we're going to put what we learn into action. 
Okay, we're going to take a verse, we're going to read it together, and we're going to see how it applies to our lives. Okay, so the first thing that we need to know, and actually, if you didn't get notes, go ahead, raise your hand, you can get those. You're going to want notes today. So the first thing that we need to know is, number one, that everyone is an interpreter. Everyone is an interpreter. Um, When I was in eighth grade, we took a family trip to the White House, and then we also went to Gettysburg and some other sites, the Smithsonian, and then we went to Thomas Jefferson's house. And when we got there, there was a tour guide, and it was really interesting. She said, today, I'll be your interpreter. She was going to help us interpret his life through giving us a tour of his home and telling us stories, but she didn't know him. Like, they never hung out. She didn't meet him. She wasn't alive when he was alive. So she was being trusted to interpret him based on what historians have learned from letters that he wrote, letters he received, things that were written about him during the time of his life. And so she was our interpreter. Her goal was to give us an accurate view of who he was. There are all different types of interpreters. Some interpreters are better than others. Some are more funny. Some are more entertaining. Some are very serious. Some are very boring. But when it comes to the Bible, you are an interpreter. Everyone is, not just someone who preaches. When you sit down with the Bible and you start reading it, for better or worse, you are an interpreter. And so your interpretation impacts how you see God, It impacts how his word affects your life. And so some people actually, they don't think that you need to interpret the Bible. Um, They think that all you need to do is just open it up, read it, and and pull from it whatever you want, whatever you think it means. And in the past, this view has been promoted by people who felt like scholars or theologians and, and preachers were trying to make it harder for people to read the Bible. But, you know, the truth is, we actually have more tools at our disposal today, like more tools available to us than ever before in history when it comes to reading and interpreting the Bible. I mean, we are in the age of information. We can go online. Um, Here are a few resources. The Bible Project is a great one. They've got a great podcast, but they also have an app and and a website, Bible Gateway. Um, I use an app called Logos, and I have it on my phone, but you can also download it on your computer. There are commentaries that you can download in iBooks or Amazon. It's just incredible to think that we live in an age where you can study the Bible, you can interpret it well, and you don't even need to go to a library That's a big deal. So recognizing your part as an interpreter is a key starting point. And so here's a few reasons why, okay? First, most of us assume that we understand what we're reading. Like we generally just bring that assumption to things that we understand, which is why it's so important that we read the Bible in community. This week launches our home church semester, our spring semester, and these are groups designed to live life together, to share the mission of Jesus together. And every single week, we're gathering around God's word together and we're reading scripture. And so these groups, they aren't age-based, they aren't gender-based, they aren't affinity-based. These are multi-ethnic, multi-generational groups of people from all different backgrounds, all different experiences of life, bringing their perspective to scripture. And we need this to gain a more full perspective of the Bible. So we need to read scripture together. And then the second thing is that we tend to think that our understanding 
is the same as God's and the same as the author's intention. And because we can't help but bring to the text all of who we are, everything that we are, our experiences, how we understand words and ideas. And this isn't a problem. This is a beautiful part of how we approach God's word. But we need to be aware of it because it can lead us to some wrong conclusions. And so, so for example, uh, when a person in our culture reads the word cross or hears the word cross, um, centuries of Christian art and symbolism cause most people to automatically think of a Roman cross. So we, we raise your hand if you thought of a lowercase t. It's okay, to be honest. <laughs> okay, but more, more than likely, the cross that Jesus was crucified on was a capital T. But in, in, in our culture, we, we see that differently because of all the art and all the symbolism and the things that we've seen. And, and more importantly, when we think of a cross, we think of this clean, artistic expression but we don't think of the cruelest torture imaginable. We think waterboarding is cruel. The cross symbolizes unimaginable pain. When is the last time you saw a cross or heard a cross and actually connected with what that was, what that did to Jesus, how culture used a cross? So this is one of the examples of, there are many, but our personal perspectives our personal view of life, we're bringing that to scripture as we read it. And so we want to see what scripture is saying, not just morph it into whatever we think it means and then stop there. So this leads us to number two. Number two, everyone must study. Everyone must study. We, we study things to understand them better. And so if we want to understand the Bible, then we actually need to study it. Um, it's amazing how many people have strong feelings or strong opinions about the Bible, but they aren't willing to sit down and study it. And so here's the deal. The Bible actually needs to be studied. And my intention in saying that and my intention with this talk is not to make the Bible feel in any way unapproachable, less accessible. That's really not the point. You can read the Bible like you read your favorite book. You can read the Bible like you'd read Lord of the Rings, Chronicles of Narnia, Star Wars. By the way, if you're doing more than just watching Star Wars, if you're reading Star Wars, you're a next level nerd. Like that's how you know, okay? So maybe you've wondered, why is reading the Bible not just super easy? Like why are some parts easier than others? You know, I can read the story and I get that, but then I'm reading over here in Romans and I'm like, what is going on? So the Bible needs to be studied. And for starters, the original authors, they weren't writing with us in mind first, okay? They were writing to the people that they knew and the people that were right in front of them. God spoke through real people in a variety of circumstances over a 1,500-year period. And his word was expressed in the vocabulary and the thought patterns of its authors, and these authors were shaped by the culture of their time. And so this doesn't mean that what they said isn't applicable to us. It just means that we have to know more about them and more about their time so that then we can see how God's word affects us. God's word to us was first God's word to them. And so we are so far removed from what it's like to be in ancient times we don't think the way they thought. We don't speak the way they, they spoke. And so we need to hear what God was saying to the original audience and then try to understand what he was telling them. And when we understand that, then we can consider 
what is God's word for us? And so here's something to write down in your notes. The Bible can never mean what it never meant. It can never mean what it never meant. Some people approach the Bible like they're going to uncover some new meaning. Have you ever been in a Bible study like that? Okay, we don't read the Bible for new meaning. We might find a new or corrected interpretation, but not actual new meaning. And so this doesn't mean that there can't be a, a range of meanings that apply to a single verse. But this, what this means is that it's not a free-for-all. We don't get to decide what we think a verse should mean. There is an intended meaning that we need to discover. And so we don't have time to go too far into this process. But what I want to do today is give you five questions to ask when reading the Bible. Five questions to ask. Okay, so the first is this. You guys with me? Awesome. What is the historical context? The historical context, which can be different from book to book, is things like the time and culture of the author and audience. It's geographical, topographical. It's political factors that are all relevant to the author's setting. And so this brings uh, the passage to life. This is what really brings the story to life. When you understand what was going on behind the scenes, what were the motivations. Um, For example, when we read Jesus' parables, They have so much more meaning when we understand the customs of Jesus's day. Take the prodigal son story, for example. Um, This son comes to his father, and he asks for his inheritance early. Now, that wouldn't really fly today, probably, okay? But when we understand the customs of Jesus's culture and the time, we realize, wow, he was saying to his dad, I wish you were dead. You might as well be dead to me. It packed way more of a punch in an honor-shame culture in their whole community than it it would for us today. So another key question to ask is, what does the historical context have to do with the occasion and purpose of this book or letter? Uh, This is figuring out what was going on in Israel or what was going on in the church that warranted this letter. And what's the situation that's being addressed? What's the author trying to say? Uh, What's he trying to change or correct? And this is different from book to book. Now, to be honest, some books require less of this understanding, like the book of Proverbs is a great example. I used to, all through um, my, my youth years, I loved reading Proverbs because it was so easy to quickly apply. Like the wisdom of Proverbs transcends cultures. But other books, you need a lot of explanation to understand uh, what the point is being, what the point is, excuse me, that's being made. So the next question is, what is the literary context? What is the literary context? Literary, literary context means that words only have meaning in sentences. And what was before one sentence or after a sentence affects the meaning of the sentence you're reading. Here's an example, Philippians 4.13, a very popular verse. Many of you probably know it. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This is an awesome verse, and it's so encouraging. But check this out. Have you read the verse before it? Verse 12. It says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Notice these words, hungry and want. This isn't talking about missing your latte on the way to work, okay? Philippians 4.13 is saying all things, it's, it's actually connected to the verse before it. Paul is talking, and he's referring to God giving him strength for every tough situation. When he's hungry, 
and when he's in want. This is an MLK verse. This isn't like, let's go try to do the impossible. This is we can make it through the impossible and maintain our faith. And God will give us strength. And no matter what the hardships we endure as we're living out this faith, as we're putting it all on the line, no matter what the cost, he will not abandon us. He will give us strength. All things are possible with him who strengthens me. See, we've got to understand the point because there is so much power when we understand the point that the author is trying to make. And so we want to ask that question over and over again. Every verse we read, every story we're reading, every passage, we want to ask the question, what is the author's point? So this is a lot like learning from a teacher. You can sit in a room with a teacher But unless they start talking or telling you something or teaching you something, you don't learn anything. Meaning doesn't just appear, right? Um, If you're sitting next to your Bible on the table, you don't just start learning as it's sitting there. You have to open it up and read it, right? So every time we open the Bible and we start reading, we want to say, God, uh, what is this author with your power through, through your spirit, these inspired words? What is it that he was trying to say? And then what is it that you want to say to me? And so the last question is this. Why are these words being used? And why are they arranged this way? Okay, this is where we want to consider the meaning of words. The grammatical relationship in sentences. Um, We want to know how the author's choice of words can impact the meaning. In Hebrew, there are four words for love. And so every time we come up on the word love as we're reading the Bible... There's a different word being used if we looked in the Hebrew language. And so as we do some research and as we discover this, we we can find different nuances and realize, wow, this is really making this point. This is the emphasis here. It's kind of like this. Imagine with me that you're standing on Treasure Island and you're looking at the Bay Bridge, okay? And if you and, and you want to cross over that bridge, and when you cross over that bridge into San Francisco, you are going back in time. This is like Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. And if you don't know what that is, I just dated myself, Google it, but my wife didn't know what that is. I was like, who did I marry? But you're crossing that bridge... She's not even that much younger than me. You're crossing that bridge, and you are back in time. And when you cross that bridge, you're in the ancient world. And let's say you come across one of Paul's letters. Like, you come across his letter that he wrote to Rome and in Romans. And so you read this, and now you want to go back. But there's no bridge. The bridge hasn't been built. And so you want to go back, and you want to apply what you've learned in 2019 in modern day. And so it's with understanding the time that these words were written, understanding the author's perspective, the issues being addressed, how the audience would have received it, that builds the bridge that allows us to take that back and then go, what do we do with it today? So you guys ready for the second part? Okay, number three, everyone can apply it. Everyone can apply it. At the end of the day, it's understanding plus application that equals a transformed life. You can know and you can understand all you want, but if you don't apply it, it doesn't add up to anything. Brave Church, do you want to become more like Jesus in 2019? Yeah, so that means reading God's word, learning from God's word, but then applying it. See, when we start applying God's word to us, 
we become more like Jesus. It changes us. We're going to study a passage now that's actually about the kinds of impact that God wants his word to have in our lives. And it's really encouraging, but it's also really challenging. Okay, we're going to go to the letter of James. And we're going to read James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. And we're going to put what we just learned into practice. Remember, everyone is an interpreter. Everyone must study, and everyone can apply it. So while you go there in your Bible or in your notes, let's consider some of the context. This letter was written by James, and it's one of 21 letters also referred to as an epistle written in the New Testament. And so James was actually the brother of Jesus. Talk about being in your brother's shadow. Your brother is Jesus. But what's amazing is that he followed Jesus. He was part of the inner circle. He was in. And he wasn't just bandwagoning. He wasn't just promoting his faith. He was willing to die for it. James was stoned for his faith at the end of his life. And so James is writing to encourage followers of Jesus to be consistent with what they're learning and the way that they're living. To not just be cultural Christians, not just take the name tag, check the box, or give off the appearance, but to really live it out. And so I don't know about you, but I just find it comforting that even at the beginning of the church, that the early church, that people needed to be reminded, hey, don't just hear this stuff. Don't just listen to it. You got to do something with it. And so people needed to be reminded of this. And I think what we discover in this passage is something that we all face. Whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, this is something that we all wrestle with in different areas of our lives. So let's read James 1, and let's start in verse 22. It says, do not merely listen to the word and deceive yourselves. Do what it says. So let's, let's pause there. Um, do what the law says is a Jewish saying that started in the Old Testament, most often as to practice the Torah. So the Torah was also called the law, and it's the first five books of the Bible. And in Exodus 24, we read this. Moses, he's, he's, he's coming down to the people, and he's giving them God's word to them. And he tells the people all the Lord's words and laws, and they responded with one voice, everything the Lord has said, we will do. And so this is important for us to know because James is echoing something. He's echoing something that was in the Old Testament, but he's also echoing the words of Jesus. Jesus himself said in Matthew, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rocks. So while both Judaism and Jesus understood holiness, and that was the goal, that's what this was supposed to lead to, being more like God, being holy. And so doing the word was a big deal, but they took this in radically different directions because the religious leader's view of what holiness is and God's view were different. And so Jesus reveals God's view to us that God's character is his compassion and his mercy. And we see this expressed in the greatest commandment. In Luke, it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your mind. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. And so these religious leaders, they were way more caught up with, with uh, holiness being connected to purity, doing everything right. They believed that if we do everything right, if we are good enough, God will send us a savior. And that just wasn't God's plan. They, didn't, they would never be good enough. We will never be good enough for God's grace. And so what's interesting here, though, is that Jesus' view on 
holiness was different, but his view, his view and the religious leaders shared something in common, and that is, is that both pathways required a lot of action. It was all about doing. James makes this point with the Greek word, a Greek word, and he says to do, but it has a force behind it that is to continue doing. We're instructed to continue growing. We never arrive in this life. We continue growing. We, be, we continue implementing what we're learning in God's word. And so this is most often what we hear when we listen to sermons or teachings or talks, but it's also when we gather together and when we read God's word or when we read it on our own. And, and regardless of where you're hearing the word, the main point is the same. Hearing is not enough. To hear and to not take action is to lie to ourselves. This is the difference between reading about something, watching something on YouTube, listening to talks, and actually living something out. You can learn all you want about eating healthy, but if you don't do it, you don't get the benefits of being healthy, right? You can know all there is to know about guitars. You can be a collector. You can tour factories. You can know how they're made. You can know how to, prepare, how to, how to repair them. But you know what none of that means? That you know how to play one. There isn't necessarily any correlation. Um, you can be a fitness expert. You've been trained. You've been certified. Earlier this week, I did my first like workout class of the year. And uh, I'm not an instructor, by the way. I went to this class, and it was still dark out. And I, that's a miracle in and of itself, because I've never been a morning person. But I'm there, and it was intense. And so you know, we got to this point where it's like the hardest part of the class, and he's yelling at us. And he's like, keep going, try harder, finish strong. He's correcting our form. We're drenched in sweat. And I just had this thought, I wonder if he even works out. <laughs> You guys ever wonder that? Like, I wonder if he's just like yelling at people all day long, just having a good time. You can be a certified personal trainer and not be physically fit. Did you know that you can know all about the Bible and not be spiritually fit? You can have thousands of verses memorized. You can know Greek and Hebrew. You can have multiple theological degrees. You can know just how to say things that makes them sound really spiritual with the right tone. And those things in and of themselves don't mean that you've become a more loving person. If we're not careful, we can become knowers of the word and not doers. Forgiveness is a great example of this. Forgiveness is beautiful. Christ forgave us, so we forgive others. It sounds great until you have to do it, right? And the truth is, there are going to be people in our lives that wrong us, offend us, sin against us, and they may never ask for forgiveness. And we still have to forgive. Because Christ forgave us. To be a Christian is to forgive others because we were never worthy of the forgiveness God gave us. So the reality is, is this. Many of us in this room, we know way more Bible than we're living. I love how we, we can get so caught up in, I, I want to learn this. I want another Bible study to go to. I want another life class to go to. I want to listen to more podcasts and all this stuff. But imagine if we just spent like 80% of the time implementing and like 20% of the time learning. Everyone can apply scripture. And everyone who does, by the power of God's spirit, will see incredible results in our lives. So you guys ready for some good news? 
Let's continue reading. Verse 23, James gives us an example in the form of a proverb. I love this picture. He says, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at it himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. James' point is that the image in the mirror Whatever impression forms in the mind or in the heart as you're looking at this mirror, it's temporary. It soon evaporates and it's soon replaced by a more base desire and things that the world is intent on convincing us are more important. Have you ever had a a moment of clarity where you paused long enough to reflect on your life and maybe you were reading scripture or listening to a talk. Maybe it was a moment of clarity in a gathering like this or maybe you were by yourself on the top of a mountain and you had this moment of clarity that some things needed to change. And maybe you were ready for that change in that moment. That's what God's word does for us. But what James is saying is that that conviction will fade. And if you don't act if you don't make the changes, if you don't talk about it, if you don't move into action, the moment of reflection will amount to nothing. Then he ends with some more good news, okay? He says, are you guys ready? Uh, He doesn't say that. I say that. Are you guys ready for some more good news? (laughs) There's a lot of technical stuff in this talk today, okay? I'm just trying to, like, stay in it. Verse 25, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've learned, but doing it, they'll be blessed in what they do. The Bible is a document written by people telling the story of God as he's acting in history to redeem, provide, and protect his people. And God is inviting us into a covenant relationship. When you decide to follow Jesus and you enter this relationship, it's like being married. And with that relationship comes rules, boundaries. There is a structure to that relationship. And as we learn about this and as we learn what it means to follow Jesus, the relationship becomes more intimate. And we become more characterized as being faithful, as being generous, and being just. That's the kind of people that God is creating as we follow him. And so there's a a blessing for those who enter this kind of relationship with God. For people who, who learn the boundaries that he's laid out for us in scripture. People who let truth go deep into their souls. And when you follow Jesus with your life, you become blessed in everything that you do. Blessed because you're doing the God things to do. Because when you follow him, you do his will. How many of you remember those bracelets, WWJD? What would Jesus do? Yeah. So they were really popular. Doing what Jesus would do is so good. It is what we should do. But you know what one of the ways that you know you're maturing in your faith is? Is when we get to a point where we don't have to ask that question as much. See, in a lot of situations, by the time you've stopped and you've asked that question, you've missed the moment to respond. As we grow in our faith, we become so close to God and we become we have this intimate relationship where we know what he wants and we just find ourselves responding and going, wow, this is amazing. Look at the impact I'm having in people around me with my words, with my actions, with my generosity, with my sense of justice. See, when you get to know God, the Bible, and, and, and you read his word and, and you get to know him through the Bible you've, you, you're, and you're filled with his spirit, 
and you're open to what he wants to show you, you become more like him and you have a totally different impact on the world around you. I've been married only two years, but my wife and I have been dating for five. And because we've spent so much time together and we've had so many conversations and we've gotten to know one another, I usually have a pretty good idea of what she'll like what she won't like. I know when is, a, when is a good time to surprise her and when's not. I know when to ask before I go do something. Um, all this kind of stuff that just happens as you get to know someone better. I know ways that I can love her that she will always feel love. Like if I rub her back, I'm, I'm good, okay? <laughs> Especially at 38 weeks pregnant. <laughs> Getting to know God's a lot like this. James 4.8 It says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. That's a promise. See, when you decide to follow Jesus, he's with you. When you become a Christian, you are filled with the presence of God. But there's still this other component, this other part of things that we take action. And those actions, as we we come under his lordship, and as as we pursue relationship with him, And as we align our lives within these boundaries of this new relationship that that he's establishing with us, that we actually start to feel even closer, that we actually get closer to God. So let's approach God's word together with humility. And as we go into our home churches this week, let's ask the question, God, what do you want to show us? What did you say to these people thousands of years ago? And what can we learn from it? And then what? can we do? What can we do with it? See, God is looking for people who will rise up in this generation and who will honor his word and and come under his lordship. Not Not just be cultural Christians, not just be checking the boxes, but say, God, show me how to live my life. And when we do that, it is amazing. The doors that open, the health in our marriages, the health in our families, And so we need each other. We need each other because you have a different perspective from your experience with God and what you've learned than you have. And and when we come together, when we get into community this week, God wants to change us and he wants to give us direction. And this is just an amazing thing. So I wanna pray a prayer of blessing over you. This is a special week as we launch home churches. These are the, the heartbeat of our community this, there's so much more than this. If you're a guest with us, I want to encourage you to check one out. But I want to pray a prayer over you because we're going to be reading the Bible together this week. And I think that God is going to speak to us. And this is going to be a new step in a lot of your journey. And so if you'll bow your heads and join me, let's pray. God, I pray for every person in this room. I pray that there would be an openness to your word. And I pray that that, that our hearts would be soft enough to change, that, that they would be soft enough to be corrected by your word, to face the things that maybe sometimes require a lot of bravery to face. And God, I also pray that as we move into this time of worship, that this room would feel how much you love them, that you, that you haven't written this word to us to control us, You gave it to us because you love us and you want to see us be your children and step into who you've created us to be, that that you've given us a purpose and that you desire to have a way bigger impact 
on the relationships and the people around us than we might realize or that we might believe. But it starts with a humble posture. A humble posture to say, God, teach me. Teach me how to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Bay Area, we would love for you to join us at a Sunday gathering in San Ramon. For directions, gathering times, or information about our Brave Kids program, visit us at brave.church. Also, if you want to help support what God is doing through Brave, you can give online to the Brave Foundation at brave.church forward slash foundation.